Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition, where we keep you up to date with everything going on in the Cold Fusion community. We'll share the latest news on events, releases to engines, frameworks, libraries, and tools, as well as spotlighting quality content from the community. Welcome back to Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition. It's September 1st, 2020, and I'm welcome with Brad Wood and myself, Gavin Pickin. Every time you say the date, I want to hear like, and this is the next, this is the first day of the rest of your life. Well, I was just thinking, well, we made it through uh, eight months of the year. That's two thirds of the way through 2020. We're, we're doing okay. We're surviving. <laughs> well, some of us are. <laughs> I'm a fan of you, of you and your microphone stand, how it just kind of teleports in from the side, but it's floating in midair. It's really amazing. Yep. I know. Special magic. <laughs> it's all part of this magic studio that we, that we give the news from. Yep, exactly. So we got a decent amount of content for you guys here today. So let's get started by thanking the sponsor. You want to go ahead and do that one, Brad? Uh, yeah. Thanks to our sponsor, Order Solutions. Get live training from the makers of your favorite box product or products. We don't require that you have only a single favorite box product. That's fine. Uh, two cold box virtual workshops are coming in October. And CFCast is releasing new free and paid content every week. So... Uh, we wouldn't have the podcast without the support of Border Solutions. Also, the podcast is made possible by the support of our Patreon supporters. So we're at the 57% mark for fully funding of our Modernize or Die podcasts on our Patreon site. So um, if you are not a Patreon supporter, you check that out. The money helps to go keep this podcast on the air and to keep Gavin's floating microphone just floating right there in space. So Patreon supports. It sure does. And yeah, without my floating microphone, you would just hear nothing. Where, so. where would we be without the floating microphone? That might be a positive, though. <laughs> okay, I can make mine float. Ooh. <laughs> okay, so let's get into the news. So Elasticsearch, so CB Elasticsearch 2.0.0 was released. So this is a pretty, pretty important release for Elasticsearch, which we're using for a lot of customers these days. Um, and I guess the the big part is is that the the server versions uh, 6.5 is being removed. Uh, all the 6.x versions have officially been ended for Elasticsearch. So, um, so if you're using Elasticsearch 6.x or before, you got to stay in the older version of the modules. How we're saying then? Yep, exactly. Um, there was quite a lot of rewrite. Right, so we basically rewrote the whole core of the integration to get it working with the newer versions. So. Um, it's a it's a big step up for those who are using the newer versions and if you're using the old like you said um definitely have to stay with the old one and, until you can make that migration so sounds like a lot of progress I, so i'm guessing it's probably not backwards compatible oh here we go breaking changes all right yeah. so there's only four bullets of breaking changes and one of them is remove support for lucy 4 all right fair enough remove yep. support for gobi cold fusion 11 that's one of the breaking changes fair enough officially in support for last search six obviously so actually, it looks pretty backwards compatible. All I see is removes the delete mapping method, no longer supported. Yep. So but it has a lot of new stuff. Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of great features coming out. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big release. If you're using Elasticsearch, which is amazing. If you're not using Elasticsearch, you should think about it. Um, but yeah, this is a great module that makes life easier. So uh, this blog post, John walks through all the different changes and updates and definitely worth checking out. So... Yeah, it's a Yay, very release. popular module, and we're we're trying to use it more and more. It just 
it makes things so much easier. Like a lot of our clients who really, you know, some of our clients, we have a motto of milliseconds matter. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> milliseconds are money. Yep. If you're exactly. in the sales business. And yeah. And so we're using Elasticsearch and getting just crazy return times. I mean, I mean, it's way faster than any database call you can make, let alone all the data crunching it does as well. So uh, natural language and everything supported. It's it's pretty impressive. So so you're saying it's better than a like query in your database. Is that what you're telling me? Massively, <laughs> especially when you use natural language as well. So that's a, a big thing for you know a lot of searches these days. We want to oh, yeah. tap into that. So uh, and you can do it in SQL. It's ugly and it's probably not very performant. So can we get a bell that we ring whenever we have a release? We get to announce of any product like an angel gets its wings. Bing two point You know. I think that's what we're here for, Brad. <laughs> okay. So uh, next up, um, last week we did, you guys mentioned, I guess I wasn't here, but uh, last week you guys mentioned the content box is announcing it'll be free forever. And so that blog post. Forever, we, forever, forever. So that blog post that we teased about is out now. So you can check that out. And so it's why content box and some interesting points about it. Uh, you know, and then it talks about all the things we've been working on the last year. So some pretty pretty big things there and Luis got inspired in the last couple of weeks he's been going crazy <laughs> on multi-tenant he's basically uh, re-architected the entire the admin to be uh, multi-tenant now and we're trying to keep everything backwards compatible and we've got a lot of uh, a lot of meetings about future planning our roadmaps and everything so really uh, you know content box has been one of those products we've used for a long time and it's just worked but we're really you know basically built up a list of all the things we wanted to, to do and improve. And so now we're actually getting time to, to do that. So um, definitely a good blog post. Check out all the things we've got coming um, in Content Box 5. Talk about CB security, about the API core, and how we're trying to build some new UIs for it as well. So we're really trying to make it extendable. So even more so than it already was. <laughs> Excited to see some progress. Just think how much you'll have to talk about it into the box next year, Gavin. Oh, yeah, I'll be busy next year. I'll be busy we're, all this year, but we're we're gonna devote an entire keynote to just you talking about all the crazy stuff we've added to Content Box. Yep, exactly, and rightfully so. I mean, the funny thing is, is because Content Box is so extendable with modules, uh, most of the time we don't need to change the core. We can do some crazy things for customers, building it in uh, as a module, and everything just works because we can tie into the core through interception points and everything else, and. So a lot of work we've done is actually all in modules. And so part of five will be taking all those modules we've built for customers and actually building it into the core. So it's, it's pretty neat. Okay. So next up on the list, uh, we have a, in case you missed it, the online CF meetup, how to use the ColdFusion API manager to modernize your app with Dan Wilson. So he presented that last Thursday, August 27th, and the recording is online on YouTube. So we'll share the link for that there. Uh, basically, in that presentation, he, he looked at how to take existing applications and work in an API-first, modern sort of world. Uh, so it looks at the IP, API manager, how to use it to improve your architecture without having to even touch the code. And the cool thing about this session is it's sort of an intro. Uh, we got a little series that are going to be going on the online CF meetup on APIs because uh, that's one of the most requested uh, topics for the online meetup. Uh, is APIs and I actually have two sessions coming up so I'll be doing one October 1st I believe and then November 13th I believe so two more API ones so I'll be working on those to give you announcements when we have the final dates and times and uh, the topics and descriptions but um, yeah APIs are pretty hot these days and so we're trying to bring more of that content to you to online CF meetup 
So Dan is that H A W T hot? I don't know how to spell it, Brad. I barely know how to say it. <laughs> Just trying to figure out how the kids are, are are doing it these days. I can't keep up. I don't know. They probably have an acronym shorthand for it anyway. Maybe an emoji they use instead. So you know, now that I have a fourteen year old, I really wonder if I sounded this stupid when my parents listened to me talk. Like, wait, what do your friends say? That's not even a word. <laughs> hey, they still say it now, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Awesome. So next up, we have a, an oldest webinar later this month. So September 25th, we have one, and I'm going to be leading that one. It's going to be called Modern Cold Fusion, No More Copy and Paste. I hadn't even heard about this one yet. So, I mean, this is, tell uh, me about it. Please expound. Pray tell. So this one is basically you know, helping those people in legacy sort of start to learn how to not repeat themselves, not how to copy paste code everywhere. You know, so many times you're trying to fix something and you find out you've done the same code in 10 different places. And so we're going to look at different ways to sort of clean up your code, organize it better. And then um, eventually I want to get to the point where I show them things like command box and using, you know, get endpoints as well as Forgebox and some of the benefits. And so one of the big things that we use with customers is a lot of people are using, you know, get endpoints with command box because command box makes it easy. But the cool thing is if you use Forgebox, you get a lot of benefits. You get the server ranges, you get the caching of artifacts and everything. And I want to show people how much slower that actually is using get endpoints versus using Forgebox and all the built-in artifacts and everything else. So so we'll basically have all the different, uh, you know, hints and tips, but working up to that where you're actually sharing your code through Forgebox. And then that way, you know, you can get all those benefits. So that's sort of the goal. But yeah, starting with the no more copy paste, you know, so simple things like having utilities or helper uh, methods or whatever that you share between uh, different pages and then work up to using modules or shared UDFs, et cetera, stuff like that. So that's the point. I like that. That's good. Yeah, because I know I mean, that a lot of times me and you were talking about the benefits of Forgebox. And so I think it'd be kind of nice to actually show some numbers. I thought it'd be interesting to see how much faster it is using, you know, Forgebox for cold box versus pointing at the Git endpoint. You know, just the cold. Yeah, you know, all my all my new packages I've been dealing with, I've been switching them over to Forgebox storage. Um, and it works really well. Everything, everything installs faster. There's, you know, less work. It's just the one zip file. Um but I like just the overall idea of this, and I don't know exactly how much you'll spend in each direction, but just the idea of, of you know, of refactoring code so you can make generic code that you don't just copy and paste everywhere is an idea that seems so obvious, but I've seen so many code bases and I've been part of companies and worked on so many code bases, you know, where they're like, oh, we need to do something similar to that last project. What do you do? You copy and paste the entire folder and rename it and just, you know, modify it all over again and there's nothing shared between them. Um, and that's the kind of legacy mindset that creates those spaghetti apps nobody wants to work on. So I think yeah. this is a great topic. Yeah, and, um, I'm working with a couple of customers. We're doing a lot of legacy work. That's what we do. And yeah, they, they've started doing that. They've started sort of making components that can be reused between different projects. And, you know, and of course, you still have to copy paste or do soft links and shared drives. And there's all sorts of weird ways to do it. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, how can you do it? How can we improve? And so it'll, it'll go through the scale of things and yeah, see how it works out. So that's the idea of it. Um, you know, basically just trying to make you more efficient. So that's the Sweet. webinar. 
So that's Friday, September 25th. Yep. It looks like the registration will be coming soon. Yep. I have to get the description uh, that I just said. I'm going to type that up and give it to yeah, you. Yeah. I guess they took everything you said and just, I should have been typing while you were talking. We'd be done now. We'd have the description. I'll get the transcript off YouTube later and just see how funny <laughs> that is. And we'll put it up there. So, but yes, yeah, so the registration link will be coming soon, but uh, uh, I guess four or five Fridays, uh, yeah, four Fridays away. So got awesome. time to register. So, yeah. So we got some new CFCast content, looks like. Um, the Coldbox Masterclass has some new stuff I'm seeing in here. Yep. Modules. So, yep. 9.2. So that's the module. Mm -hmm. So modules, creating modules and third-party modules is all new and up there. I'm seeing a theme, like a, like a, a module-related theme with this latest content. I like it. Yep. And then, uh, obviously, there's a lot more uh, updates behind the scenes you don't see, but the CFCast site itself had a major uh, rollout as well. So a lot more little features and bells and whistles and that. So the team's working hard on not just bringing you content, but also making the experience of that yeah, even better. There's been sort of like regular releases to just the CFCast source code, getting it updated and working smoothly since we've pushed it out. So I haven't been a part of any of that. Um, I just see all the stuff going on inside and orders and new release and new release. So it's a, it's pretty exciting. The effort we've been putting into CFCast to make it, um, a nice modern well-oiled machine yeah and I, I see some feedback on the box team channel too um, a couple of hints about you know more obvious tags about what's free and what subscription because obviously we do provide a, a decent amount of free content every week and uh, even for the the paid series we usually try to have a couple of free videos in there so you get an idea of if that series is something you'd like to subscribe for or not but we're trying to make that better and easier to use for everybody so if you have any feedback on content or just features let us know please uh, we do appreciate it so all right what's going on with conferences okay <laughs> so we had your training last week, so all the did. August trainings are done. And in September, we're actually having a, a month off of training. So October, um, we're giving everyone a little more time in September to deal with the start of school stuff because, uh, you know, everyone's kind of crazy and hectic. But in October, we're going to be doing two workshops. The dates are coming very soon, but we'll be doing another cold box zero to hero uh, led by me. And then we're going to be doing a two-day workshop. Uh, cold box hero to superhero led by luis mahano so they'll be spaced out a couple of weeks because some people like to take one right after the other so you can uh, sign up for the cold box zero to hero and then two weeks later you can do the hero to superhero and that way you get all your learning in one place uh really level up now just to confirm are these are the same workshops we just did a couple months ago what we're just pulling around again for people that missed them last time is that correct yeah exactly these are the the same workshops we get a lot of interest in the cold box ones obviously uh, everyone wants to get up to speed for Coldbox. If you've been using it for a little while or not at all, the Coldbox Zero to Hero is perfect for you. And if you think you know your stuff and you're pretty well uh, attuned with Coldbox, the Hero to Superhero, Luis will take you through some interesting places and really bend your mind and uh, get you using some crazy cool stuff. So that one's uh, make you from a hero to a superhero there. And so if you haven't, maybe you took the first one before, you can just take the Hero to Superhero or if you're looking to do both, we're offering them. And we're trying to offer them every couple of months for these ones. And then the other workshops, as requested, uh, we're going to be registering them. So obviously with the command box one, uh, we're going to do another testing one coming up soon as well. So let us know what you want to see. Um, you know, we need to get, the, get them scheduled out in advance. But uh, let us know if um, we could do that. Cool. 
and john said uh, november will be crazy as well and yeah that's why we're not doing any november we probably um we may get one in uh december maybe but i know with like november thanksgiving christmas etc it's pretty crazy so it's like the stretch of holidays exactly so mixed in with all the political campaigning is just going to be great <laughs> yeah and so john is also asking if the classes could be recorded for those who took them so we're we are recording them um usually just for people who maybe missed a bit of it or not we're trying to get some polished versions that will actually release as training materials that you can take and sort of have office hours for questions but it can't really beat um you know the live in person even if it's virtual training where you can get your hand held as you go answer those questions because if you're on your own watching videos it can be really hard if you get stuck so that's why the the trainings in person they're always going to have a you know a bigger bigger value than those that are recorded but yeah the in person is always better we did record my command box um uh zero to hero workshop last week um, but one of the reasons uh, we wanted to have the recordings is we had interest from people in European time zones that it doesn't really work for them to do the American time zones. But sometimes it's always it's difficult to get enough students, you know, in that time zone to be able to actually put it on then. So one of our backup ideas was, well, at least minimally, we can have, you know, solid recordings we can be able to offer. But it's it's definitely tricky trying to schedule a some of these in-person things, you know, the whole idea of being everybody's in the room all at once learning together, but then you have people all around the world that want to be in the room. <laughs> the times don't always work out well. Yeah. I mean, I had JR in Australia tuning in at midnight to 7 a.m. <laughs> for my training. I mean, he was, he was a trooper. <laughs> good on you, brother. Most, most people won't do that. They'll like, whatever that's above my pay grade. <laughs> so that's awesome that he was that dedicated. Yeah. And that's the thing, uh, you know, if we have the the polished version that we're going to be releasing, and we do plan on doing that, we're looking at doing office hours. So basically, if Brad's command box one is one that you take online, he'll try and set aside like an hour each week. That way, you know, you can basically, if you have any questions, you can hit him up, do a little Zoom call or whatever to get those answers, and then you can sort of proceed. And if you get stuck, wait till the next week for the next one. But the, the live in person is obviously more value. And the ones we are recording the workshops, obviously, we're, we're the ones we're recording we're making available to those who took the workshop just so they can see them but one of the things is too we want people to be comfortable in the trainings we don't want them to be scared that they're going to be recorded and then you know their silly error is going to be shown to everybody else so that's kind of the thing you know it's a small group and people are comfortable in the small group so the ones we've recorded we just share bits of them for those for those who attended but it's not made to you know a polished product that we're going to release to the world so that's that's the other reason there too but we are working on that we know that you know people like to have the the videos to, to go over and we'll definitely be making those available uh, as soon as we can so we're always and now that we've let you content. all in on the secret plans of the cd underbelly of the ordis uh workshop system we have to kill you all so very sorry all 11 watchers that are right now on youtube uh, two of them are us so we better watch out <laughs> oh, God, dang it <laughs> yep anyway so those workshops are coming up in october and we have more coming uh Let's say if you have a request, let us know, uh, and then let us know what you know dates and times work, and we can try and put something together. Because although we are scheduling these ones so people can sign up publicly, if you have a few people that actually want to do it at the same time, we can actually schedule that as an extra one as well. So uh, that is a possibility. So okay, and then when we have those prices, you'll be able to get the discount with the podcast ten code as well. You get ten percent off. 
So those will be up on the events page uh, probably in a week or two. We're just find, finalizing all the dates and getting the descriptions ready. If I type podcast 100, will it give me 100% off? No, it'll give you 100 <sighs> times the price because you're greedy. I, th- I thought I had cracked the system. Oh. All right. Number so, conference to let you guys know about. We've mentioned this every week for the past 17 weeks. What we keep telling you, apparently, jconf, jconf.dev is a Java conference that has gone online and completely free September 30th, so basically one month from now. Um, and so it looks like it's going to be pretty good. It's got, what, 30 sessions, four tracks, and it doesn't cost a single thing. Uh, it's all Java Cloud, JVM Languages, uh, Big Data, and it's got some speakers we recognize like Vincat. So if you're looking for some online content, um, uh, oh, yeah, Matt Rabel. I'm just scrolling through the speakers right now, and I'm, like, recognizing people in here. So um, good content in there if you're looking for some Java conference goodness. Cool, cool. And then uh, after that, in November, we have Adobe CF Summit, um, November 17th through the 19th. That, again, is online and free. And you can find out more information at cfsummit.wevents.com. The speaker sign-up form apparently is supposed to be closed, but I see the form is still there. So if you didn't miss it, maybe you can sneak a submission you, in late. I'm going to admit, I, I never signed up. I intended to, and I've been incredibly busy, and I just didn't do it. And I was like, oops. But yeah, I saw the form is still there. I was tempted to like stick in a topic and just see if they were still actually like looking at them. Yeah, I'm sure that they'll, if they get them, they'll check it out. Um, I know that does take a lot of time to plan a conference and get everything organized. So uh, if you are wanting to sneak in late, do it today as soon as you can, because you may not have a chance tomorrow. And then the online certification for the Adobe ColdFusion certification uh, is available as well. And we have links to the blog post, which is about it and why they moved it online and why it's a good uh, certification to take. And the registration link is both going to be posted in the show notes as well. So uh, they had a good turnout at CF Summit last year. I know they're, they're wanting to do some more with, um, with um, the other conferences, but with everything being COVID shut down, it's kind of made it tough. But the online version is is out there, and it looks like good material. So 50-plus hours of online videos is kind of crazy. So a lot of good content there. And we, uh, me and Brad last year helped uh, – help with that session that Nolan did at CF Summit. And I even learned a few things about Adobe Cold Fusion because, you know, there are some differences and there's lots of hidden secrets, you know. You don't you get to see all of them when you're working day to day. So there's a lot of good things and you'll definitely learn something from taking the certification. Okay, CF Camp, we still haven't heard. So at this point, I'm assuming that CF Camp online or in person, both will not go ahead. So unless we hear different, uh, I think... See if camp is done for the year. Sad, but just the way it is. Yep. Always be next year. <laughs> okay, so let's get into the blogs, tweets, and videos of the week. The good stuff. Yep, the good stuff. That's what you come back for, I know. So the first blog post is the CB Elasticsearch 2.0.0 release. So that's the blog post we mentioned earlier. And so it has all the great information about the update, what's improved, what's new, and what will we break. And definitely check that out as i mentioned now the next one's an interesting one because the cold fusion 2020 or stratus uh public beta has come out and so more people are actually starting to use that and with command box we make that easy obviously with through forge box but uh david byers on the adobe uh forum talked about uh basically using the beta through the eyes of someone new 
And so this is to provide some answers to simple mistakes he made when trying to install the beta and basically wants to make sure that you don't fall into the same traps he did. So, you know, I saw this post and I thought that looks interesting, but I didn't get a chance to read it, but I'm confused because I'm trying to click on the link at our show notes and it's redirecting me to the homepage, uh, coldfusion.adobe.com. Was the post removed or changed or renamed? That's How a good question. Find it? Um, I, it was there this morning. <laughs> I don't. I don't navigate through the the forum that often. I usually just direct link into stuff. Oh, this is cute. The embed code in there is just showing right up on there. Bless your hearts, Adobe. Um, okay, I'm trying, I'm trying to find to it here. No, oh, it looks like it's disappeared. So uh, <laughs> he must have unpublished it or something. So maybe it got unpublished for him. Maybe he didn't say good. I mean, so I hadn't read it yet. I kind of wanted to. What, what was his take on it? Um, so basically, he, he points out a few flaws in the process uh, and mentioned a couple of things that may trip you up as well. But it's you know it's a different process. But as you mentioned, we have it on Forgebox. And even during the, the private beta, we have a top secret, nobody knows uh, Forgebox slug to be able to use it. And so that's how we could <laughs> test Coldbox and everything else. We have them in our, in our you know, integrated testing so we basically spin up our ci cd and we test things with the new slugs and so i wouldn't have i didn't ever walk through the old school installation process so i didn't you know, know i haven't used the the cold fusion installer in so many years i mean they're supposedly working in the installer which is great but my first thought is always like yeah but who uses that server start <laughs> cf engine equals adobe at 2020 you're done dude there's no installer yeah, if, like, if you want your settings from 2018, just use CF config like, and away you go. Over in the corner is like a group of ColdFusion developers banging rocks together, and they're like, "We use the installer still." I'm like, okay, well, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean. If, sorry if I insulted anyone who uses the installer. It's just <clears throat> command box. Actually, unfortunately, there are people out there that have standard licenses that would love to use command box, but you can only use command box in production with a enterprise license. So yeah, they right. have the they, they have the unfortunate pleasure of being. Uh, forced to use the traditional installer so yeah well i'm kind of disappointed that, that post got pulled down maybe uh they were just uh tweaking the cover image and it'll reappear later because I, I i was wanting to read that well i'm going to leave the link in there in the show notes so if uh yeah. if it does come back later you guys can check that out maybe i'll uh bug david byers and be like hey do you know what happened to your post yep oh and one of the things to to mention too is that on the adobe the coldfusion.adobe.com forum now if you took that specialist certification and you are specialized you have a little tag next to your name so let me pull that up real quick and i'll show you so go to local so here you'll see the little specialist and so i went down to his blog post and see that those that post is no longer there but yeah if we go back to the the home page you can see specialist. So yes, I have not taken the test, but neither is Charlie. But anyways. Okay. So next up on the list, um, we have an interesting one from Ben Adele. These are always interesting, but this is a pretty different take. So this one here. Doesn't Ben always give us a different take, Gavin? He does. Yeah, there's a couple interesting ones that I'm sure you got plenty to say about soon, but this one's a little different. <laughs> so this one, he's generating interactive craft sketch file from an Envision prototype in Lucy. And so basically they changed the process and sketch or whatever that 
the format is now a zip file. So he's thinking, why don't I just create that in ColdFusion and Lucy? And so yeah, basically, yeah, so it uses a, you know, a, a series of JSON and image files, et cetera, and then zips it into an archive. So uh, he does put his caution, take it with a grain of salt because he's just playing. Uh, it's just kind of interesting, you know. And it, sound, it sounds similar to like the docx formats and Word, except for those are just XML on a zip file. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the same type of thing. And so basically he worked through, he just, you know, reverse generated there's a prototype of an ID and a name, and then these are the screens that it has, and it has the, the hotspots. And so basically, he went through, you know, taking the, taking this reverse engineering it, and then you know, adding all the right uh, files and stuff into it, and zipping it up. So and this is genius. Yeah. Look at all this beautiful code of his written in script, with arrow functions. Yeah. He's He's come a long way, cold, Albion. Just need some cold box, no be. Mm. I mean, even even the spacing is not as crazy as it used to be, right? <laughs> <laughs> Ben's toned down his white space over the years. Yeah, you know, everybody has their own personal story arc. Yeah, but I like the fact it's very well documented and clear. It makes it perfect. Yeah, the comments post. are great. I I wait around a lot of other people's code that have like zero comments on on a regular basis, and it's just really nice to read code where everything's like nice and commented. Yeah, I mean, it's perfect for blog posts where you're trying to explain what you're doing. So just do it in line instead of, you know, having the code and then try and talk about it outside of it. So uh, really neat. But yeah, it's copying the screens to images, etc. So it's pretty good, pretty good blog post. So it's pretty long. Uh, there's a lot of different uh, code in there, but he's using some map functions and everything too. So, uh, you know, if you're looking to do something a little different, check this out. I say I always find something valuable out of Ben's blog post, even if I'd never do something like this. You know, this is not my cup of tea, but uh, it was definitely, you know, a good read. Yeah, it's a fun little experiment. Yeah. I mean, see, this is the kind of crap that we need cold fusion people doing, right? Here's a random task. I know I'm going to beat it over the head with some cold fusion code and see if I can beat it in submission. That's the kind of stuff you people need to be doing out there. And I say this every time I see some cool little like CLI utility that does some amazing little black box thing and it's written in like Python or Node or Ruby or enter non cold fusion language here. And I'm like, this could totally been done in cold fusion. Why do people never do random crap in cold fusion? See, here's Ben doing some random crap in cold fusion. Good job, Ben. Yeah. No, you like, all go and do the same. I like that. And yeah, that's. <laughs> part of our top secret innovation meetings that uh, Audis has where you're like, think outside the box. Oh, we're not top secret anymore. You might as well just hand out the Zoom link, Gavin. <laughs> no, but, you know, we're trying to come up with crazy ideas that we could do in Cold Fusion, you know, and that's the thing is that's how we innovate the language. That's how we push the community forward is by thinking outside the box, not just like, oh, I could do it in Node, you know. Think of some crazy things that we want Cold Fusion to do and, and do that. So I like it, Ben. Good thinking. <laughs> okay so next up we have a, a tweet from kai and this is right alongside your query of queries uh so 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 here's the thing um we talked we talked about did i talk about this with you or with two weeks ago or eric last week eric I, last week it all my it all runs together in my head i was sick this last week and i have no clue what i've done um yeah, so you know, we talked about a, a tweet that I'd sent complaining about some of the implementations I'd, I'd, I'd found of query queries in Lucy and how they were, shall we say, less than desirable. 
Um, anyway, I, I was lamenting that I would love to have some time to actually like, you know, see what it would take to improve uh, some of the query query support directly in Lucy. Um, since last week, uh, in talking with, with one of the clients that I've been dealing with, helping them work around some of this query query stuff, um, they've actually um, asked me to, to spend some time um, seeing what it would take to actually implement some some of the better query query support directly into Lucy, um, which I've actually been working on the past couple of days with only limited success because it seems like everybody else wants me to work on a different project. Um, but I, I actually was able to pin down Misha and say like, hey, if I'm able to like fix some query query stuff and make it actually work better and natively do like group buys and stuff, like would you actually merge that? Um, and he said, yeah, as long as you have tests. So he said it, I'll see if I can hold him to it later. So uh, I'm kind of excited that if, if I actually get enough time to work on it, I'm I actually being able to improve the query query support that's kind of built into to Lucy so it doesn't fall back on that, you know, HyperSQL thing Eric and I talked about. Um, and then hopefully maybe actually getting that merged into Lucy so everybody benefits from it. Um, but anyway, that's, that's a little side update. Can't promise anything, but I've actually been like poking vigorously at the Lucy source code with a stick. Um, I even have like a, a package script that I've, 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 I've put together in command box where with a single command, I can, you know, put some debugging nonsense in a Lucy source code, fire off a package script that runs the Lucy build, copies the LCO file into my, you know, local command box deploy folder. And then I hit my test page, which runs some more code, which, you know, forces Lucy to suck in the code and deploy it. And I can test a new, you know, version of my Lucy code in about a minute and 10 seconds. It takes about 52 seconds to run the, you know, Lucy build. Uh, but it's not horrible. I've, I've kind of got a little bit of a, a little bit of a, um, a workflow for just, you know, building Lucy with a min minimal number of steps. But anyway, uh, sorry, that's a little bit of a side sidetrack from, from Kai's tweet. But on that topic of query, query sort of sucking, I'm, I'm excited to maybe be able to fix some of that. We'll yeah, that's cool. So yeah, so um, Kai <laughs> was looking at that, and after your tweet, he realized he had to refactor quite a lot of code, and so he went back and <laughs> he figured out that if you use a query dot filter, it's way faster in most cases than doing a query or query, even over a simple internal uh, Lucy engine one, not even dumping it out to the external database piece. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so using things like query dot filter uh, might be a benefit for those. So. Uh, you may not need to rewrite the world. Um, and obviously, <laughs> once Brad gets his act together and uh, does his millionth thing for the day and actually gets that fixed in Lucy, <coughs> then you won't have to worry about I it. Know. But query.filter, you know, might be a good solution for you. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the just the member functions on queries. If you can, if you have time to use them, or you're writing new code, um, absolutely. One of the big reasons they're trying to fix what's there is just to, you know, make people's existing code they don't want to have to refactor work better. But yeah, I mean, if you can just do a query object dot filter and, you know, use that in place of a, a query, a query, you might find it's just as readable and performs even better. So I'm a fan of those solutions as well. I just feel bad that I made Kai have to go rewrite a bunch of code. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, talk about Sorry, old, Kai. old dogs, new tricks. Uh, Paul Hostick uh, said, I know, I know I'm late to the party, but Elvis operator, safe navigation operator, member functions called Fusion are wicked cool. <laughs> He says, don't at me, Lucy, folks. ACF will be, always be my special and my first love. So, uh, yeah, some of those things wait, we're used to wait, using does Lucy. Does he know who added the Elvis operator and who added the safe navigation operator and who added member functions first into CFML? Lucy, Lucy, that's, Lucy. 
That's why he's saying, don't at me, Lucy, folks, because he's finally seen them. And he's saying, old dogs and tricks. So Adobe's finally learning these tricks that Lucy's had for years. Oh, oh That's okay. what he's saying. All right. Yeah. Sure. That's what he's saying. Um, like, yeah, I'm finally using them now because I can and I like it. But yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, I see. <laughs> see, I, uh, I I agree with him with uh, with Elvis and member functions. I I disagree in the safe navigation operator. I don't know if I've talked about it in the podcast, but I know probably complained about it to you Always. internally. Um, I don't think the safe navigation operator serves almost any purpose in CFML because of how broadly implemented the Elvis operator is. Um, almost every time I've ever seen anybody use safe navigation, it was in conjunction with Elvis and was therefore completely irrelevant and they could have just taken it out. It would have behaved the exact same. The only reason to ever use safe navigation and cold fusion is if you actually want to get null back like you actually want a null value to be the output of your expression. If you're just going to slam an Elvis on the end and give it a fault value, just delete all those safe navigation operators. They're crap. And I've actually seen them cause really weird bytecode generation errors in Lucy recently. I had to rip them out of some code where they also were doing nothing. Um, the safe navigation operator uh, makes more sense in languages like Kotlin or something, which they're much more strict. So if you say foo.bar and foo doesn't exist, you'll actually get an exception. So you have to use safe navigation. Um, I think so. Yeah. Uh, but in, in cold fusion, like if you have like foo.bar.baz.bum, it doesn't, you know, and you have Elvis at the end, the Elvis doesn't only kick in if the bum doesn't exist. If there's any of those variables at all just don't exist for any reason, you know, cold fusion just <coughs> swallows the entire error and says, yeah, I will let Elvis handle it. Just kick it down to Elvis. He'll take care of it. So the safe navigation is doing what for you? It's doing nothing. It wouldn't matter. Um, I don't know. This little personal rant. I think safe navigation operator was one of those things that people kind of looked around. were like, Ooh, what are other languages doing that we could copy? Oh yeah. Safe navigation. Look, woo, we're going to put that in cold fusion. I don't think anybody thought to themselves, man, I really wish I had a mechanism whereby, no, I, I don't know. I, I could be wrong. Maybe there's people out there happily using it in a scenario where it makes sense. And I applaud them. Um, I've just never seen anybody use it where they actually needed it. Everybody uses it because they think they need it. And I'm like, no, nah, you didn't need it in that case. You had, you had Elvis at the end of a line. It was pointless. But anyway, that's my little rant about safe navigation, which okay. has nothing to do with pa Paul's tweet. I'm excited that Paul's excited about things. <laughs> I just think safe navigation probably doesn't do what you think it does. Well, apparently, um, <laughs> Will just started using safe navigation today. So maybe he can give you a, oh, Will, no. a blog no, post on why. Um. Anyway, if, if you get a really weird bytecode generation error, it might be your safe navigation. I'll show you the ticket. Interesting. <laughs> okay. So next up on the list, we actually have another podcast. So this podcast is advertising another podcast, the what? Confusion Alive podcast. So uh, speaking of Lucy, uh, Garrett Franz from Lucy, um, with the cool Lucy CFML, gigabyte files passing and more. So um, an interesting uh, interview there. <coughs> Apparently, It's actually a new interview. Yeah, this one was released August 27th, so just released. Um, I don't been think I saw that one. Yeah, because I don't think Gertz had any like recent stuff with uh, with oh. the CFLI podcast. Yeah, CFLI podcast hit 100 episodes quite a while ago with Nolan. I remember that. And then, yeah, mm -hmm. I hadn't seen any pop up for a while. And so I just saw this one. I'm like, oh, that's new. Hmm, I see so. command boxes mentioned. What are you using? Why are you using Lucy at DistroKid? Oh, I see. Yeah. It's just the command box. Yep. So. Node, node to Lucy. I like the sound of that. Taking <laughs> node, turn it into Lucy. This is what I want to see. 
Yeah, I mean, he talks about some cool performance, and Gert usually likes to focus on performance, so uh, it's always interesting to see what Gert has to say. So I, I got a chance to listen to a little bit of that. I'm going to listen to the rest of it later on because obviously he had to do a podcast today. So, uh, but yeah, so another good interview there. And there's a lot of great content too. If you guys go look back in the, the archive there, you know, 103 episodes now, uh, a lot of good content, a lot of good interviews. So Talking about tag and script. You know, I... I had never used this. Sorry, it's raining outside. And I was like, what am I hearing through my headphones? Um, I had never really used the tag and script stuff, the little tag islands, the back ticks. Um, and and uh, Ben Nadell, almost said Ben Shapiro. Uh, ben Nadell had done some examples of it. And I was like, that kind of actually looks cool. I've actually been using the tag and script stuff a lot recently um, when I'm working with some of our clients and we're doing like, uh, some legacy stuff where we're converting over scheduled tasks or whatever. And they have a big chunk of tags and I have a script based task runner. I wanted to just dump their logic in and I, I have all the boilerplate for this task runner, which is really isn't that much at all. I have an inside the function. I just give my, you know, my back tick block and I chuck their tags inside of it and then like, okay, it's up and running and we can go through and we can refactor stuff to script later on. But anyway, Gert mentioned that here in this Terratech interview. And so I'm like, I actually kind of coming to like that. Yep, and then uh, Scott Steinbeck in the chat also mentioned how they talk about uh, making Lex extensions with CFML. So, yeah, I'm so, curious about that. Yeah, so I'm gonna have to definitely check that podcast out. Very cool, and thanks for you guys chiming in the chat. We appreciate it. Good to have you here. I, I'm see, I haven't even heard like Gert speak in a while. Well, I mean, I guess he doesn't usually make it over to the American conferences, but it's been all the way since CF Camp last year. I Maybe we should have a, anymore, so. should have Gert do a special uh, webinar or something. Haven't had one for a while. We can invite him to do one. That would be fun. It's always fun to listen to Gert talk. Yep. I don't get to hear from any, any hardly anymore. I mean, same thing with Misha. It feels like I hardly get a chance to hear from him as well. Everybody's always so busy, you know. And then now we're all staying home. Yep, we're all busy at home. So next up we have <clears throat> Ben Adele. And this one's interesting. He's talking about all the encode for um, yeah. confusion functions. And this encode for CSS is interesting because, as he mentions, you know, it's uh, cross-site scripting uh, attack deflection, basically. And that's the main reason everybody uses them. And a lot of people use them for encode for HTML, encode for HTML attributes, encode for JavaScript even. But encode for CSS, that's not one that I've used. I don't really put my I don't think I knew it existed, like, honestly. Yeah, but I also I, I've never had CSS really like in cold fusion files with variables. Most yeah. of the CSS file, I barely touch the front end, like to be clear. But most <laughs> of the stuff I do touch is just a styles.css file, purely static. So, yeah, I didn't even know there was an encode for CSS. Yeah, and he's talking about how all the examples he found doesn't work pretty much. Like this one here, this does not work. And I would probably have encrypted the you know didn't encode for html attribute around the whole thing because it's an html attribute and maybe that's why it doesn't work but uh, he was basically saying how yeah that most of the examples he found didn't work um and so yeah so he walks through it and and describes it all but it was just interesting yeah because i never used it <laughs> i mean see like when you have a, a style attribute inside of an html tag you know the text inside the style technically is it's css inside of an attribute so i mean in yeah. theory any variables inside of well let's see that's why this looks like this 
Yeah, it's like in theory, you might need to actually encode it twice, like encode the CSS bits for inclusion in the style and then encode that entire string to be included in an attribute. But but in reality, it probably seems like that would be unnecessary. But I'm trying to catch what was the actual bug that doesn't work. He's talking about quoting stuff. Yeah, if you don't have the quote, I guess it doesn't encrypt it correctly. And so like here, he had to actually put the content inside of the quotes for the encode for CSS to work. And I'm just still not sure why you'd want to do that as far as CSS. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess, yeah, you may want to change things on the fly with some, some HTML or some, you know, database variable or something, but it just seems kind of strange. So why does the encode for CSS version have spaces in it? So HTTPS colon turns into backslash three, a space. So part of the escape characters include spaces. Yeah, it's kind of weird. But is this point simply that you need to make sure you quote it in case the encoding adds spaces in? Or is he saying that there's more yeah, that's I, wrong I, with it? I think that you need the quotes at least. Um, but all the examples didn't have quotes. And So is he saying that encode for CSS is broken or that people just don't use it properly? Let's see. So, so yeah, if I read the title of this post, most confusion examples dot, dot, dot are broken. So he's yeah. not necessarily saying the tag is wrong. Or, uh, sorry, the tag. Uh, the function is wrong. He's just saying the examples where people use it aren't technically right. And so that makes sense. So basically the, the TLDR is encode for CSS can add spaces into an attribute where you wouldn't expect it, there to be spaces. So if you don't preemptively put quotes around it, that can lead to syntactically invalid CSS. Yeah, but he says it can't do its job if you can't put it in all the spaces you need to put CSS. So Wait, say just, that again. It can't do its job fully if it only works in certain places because you can't always you know add quotes around every variable type and stuff. So that's what he's I'm saying. not sure why you couldn't, but I guess I'd have to see examples of that. Yeah. Anyways. So interesting. Huh. I said I never thought about it, but I guess in some cases if you wanted to use uh like the images in a CMS as a background image, you should probably be using, you know, even though if the image was uploaded properly, you should have more control over it. But if they're just giving you a URL, then maybe that's something you'd have to in encode. But anyways, pretty interesting. Uh but yeah, I don't even think about encoding CSS values. So Yeah, I've never thought of it either. I think I would have thought the same as you, which is just encode for HTML attributes, what I probably would have used. Yeah, I guess it could, could still be dangerous, but yeah. I would be interested in actually seeing a cross-site scripting attack vector using unencoded CSS. Okay, Pete, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just saying I, I don't I don't know that I know any. Pete Freitag, if you're listening, uh, give us an example. I'm sure you got plenty of examples of all this dangerous doohickeys. So uh, find us a CSS one so we can test it out. Yeah. I mean, it's like if I had the background image on my page and someone maliciously changed the HTTP URL to point to some other URL, I'm just trying to imagine like where the attack vector actually is. So, hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure. Okay. So next up, we have a, a blog post from James Moberg, Cold Fusion Timeout Conversion Testing. So this was, a, I think, a follow-up to before we had these weird things happening in the Lucy spreadsheet library where you had the like the number nine uh, and it would show up as 
all sorts of weird uh, time date time formats. Um, and so basically comparing 2016, 2018 with Lucy 5 and sort of you run through some of the code to, to test that out. I still find it pretty interesting how these come up with, I mean, I don't even know how some of these characters get converted into date time formats. All right, so like 9A is 9AM. Yeah. He didn't expect 9A to be a date, but Cold Fusion did. But Lucy doesn't. Apparently was no. I'm curious. I'm sure that I'm sure over the years, Rilo and eventually Lucy has probably filled in a number of tickets in which somebody said, you know, Adobe Cold Fusion cast this weirdly, oddly specific date one way or another, and you didn't. I'm sure they've changed them. I'm curious at this point, like if you were to create tickets just as, as like incompatibilities that said, you know, your your is this a date logic is slightly different from Adobe's. I'm curious at this point if Lucy would even change it or if they'd be like, yeah, whatever. You get what you get. You don't throw a fit. We're not we're not touching that code anymore. We're tired of fiddling with it. But this is weird. So 9 is not a date. 9 a.m. or 9 p.m. <clears throat> is. So 9 a, 9 p. Mm -hmm. 9 a with spaces, yep. 23 is not, but 15.4 is. What the hell were they thinking? See, 15.4 is probably one of those like epoch representations or something. See, 15.4, really? I'm just guessing, converts to 9.36 a.m.? Yeah, so I mean, it's 0.4, but that doesn't even, I don't know. Point, I'd have to point go four, look you, up the rules. Point four, you'd think it'd be, be 9.24 if it was point four of an hour. Yeah, but is, 23 isn't. Is it the decimal? Well, 23 isn't unique? just like 9 isn't. 9 isn't either. So why does 15.4 all of a sudden become a date? Hmm. When 9 and 23 by themselves aren't. <coughs> All I can say is I like the fact that Lucy doesn't do it unless you tell it to. So I like that. <laughs> well, a... see, and that's actually a compatibility. I say issue. Um, I mean, the Lucy developers say, yeah, this is on purpose. We're not changing it. But Lucy, by default, will not go out of its way to convert strings to a date in like an if statement, which is something you and I have run into when converting legacy code for clients from Adobe Cold Fusion, is you have an if statement that says, you know, see if... if uh, this variable is less than this variable, and the variables contain strings, which we expect to be converted into dates, Adobe Cold Fusion will like poke at each and every variable it ever compares and say, hey, you a date? Hey, are you a date? Okay, let me convert you to a date and actually do a date diff behind the scenes. Lucy goes, nope, looks like strings to me. String compare, right? And then you you tell the Lucy developers, they're like, yeah, that's for performance because Adobe sucks and they're slow because of it. Oh, you want you want dates? Yeah, use the date diff function. You gotta tell us their dates and then we'll happily compare them as dates. Um, and when in the loose developers stand by, like, yeah, this is totally for performance. There's a lot of overhead and checking if every single string ever is a date when, you know, maybe it's not. So I'm curious if any of this difference in behavior actually falls back to that sort of Lucy doesn't try nearly as hard to find the date where there isn't a date unless you actually tell it. I, I could be barking up the wrong tree. This could be unrelated to that, but I know there are differences documented ain't going to change differences in Lucy related to just how hard it, it kind of bends over backwards to turn strings into dates on your behalf. Yeah, well, And this I mean, is one of the downsides of a loosely typed language, you know, in Java, Java never guesses. You tell Java exactly what it is and it's yeah. faster because of it. Cold Fusion's always like, Oh, what did they mean? What did they mean? It's a string. It'd be like one of 17 things. Let me try a bunch of stuff, you know? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, think about it. You're, you're trying to convert data from a query into a spreadsheet. That's like my, my doctor example. <laughs> doctor No became Doctor False because. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because it uh, thought no meant false. Like, no, I didn't ask you to change the name. It's a string. Leave it alone, please. But nope, can't do that. And so if you had the number 15.4 for some reason, it would be a time. But 16 or 15 wouldn't. That's just weird. And if you're doing a spreadsheet, you're dumping a bunch of data. You're going to have a whole bunch of dates in there all of a sudden. That's pretty <coughs> painful. What's actually interesting about this post is it shows that Adobe and Lucy both say true or yes for 15.4, but they come up with different results. Adobe says 15.4 is a date and it's 9.36 a.m. Lucy says 15.4 is a date and it's midnight. Just all zeros. Hmm. What I'm not, what I'm not clear, at least with Lucy, I could go look if I cared to. I don't know if I care to. I'm not clear with either Adobe or Lucy if the date, you know, is this string a date, yes or no type of logic is something that's custom written into the CF engine, or if it's just deferring to one of the 8 billion, you know, pre-existing Java date classes out there that, you know, already exist and are capable of converting, you know, lots of different formats to actual dates. I don't know how custom this is, or if they're just tapping into some Java library and just rolling with whatever it says. I don't know. It's a good question, but the source code's there if you want to try some stuff. But yeah, I wonder if it changes if you update your JVM underneath too. For Java, 8, Java 8, Java 11, et cetera. Well, yeah, and that, <coughs> excuse me, that's always kind of the, the potential problem with cold fusion functionality that just defers to some native Java functionality is, you know, a JRE update could change how the language behaves. Um, what, what CFML needs is like a, a date explain function. My gosh, how many conversations have you and I seen over the years on mailing list of why is this a date or why isn't this a date? There needs to be like a date explain function where you pass a string in and you get back yes or no and like a list of reasons why they thought it was a date. And by they, I mean the cold fusion engine. So you're like, oh, okay, that's why they think, yeah, that's dumb. You know, because otherwise we kind of like scratch our heads and we're like 15.4. What, what? I don't know. Is the point four? We don't. Yeah. You know. it, Bill's also talking about how a cell phone number <coughs> 06 space 1234567 is a date and 06 space 04 space 1234567 is also a date. He says he hates it. It breaks all his code. And like I said, I wish they could just say, don't try and convert it, you know, like, because if I want to convert it, I'll do a past, <coughs> a past date time first. So that way it's giving it a date. But anyway. Yeah. Well, Crazy. Luz, or Adobe will always just be a, a mysterious black box on what it does. Lucy, at least, if you really cared, we could go dig through and find whatever giant, probably horrible method it is that says, is this a date? We could figure out which one of those if statements got entered that would... Of course, there might not be any comments that tells you what it was checking for. <laughs> but... Yeah. And then we'll say Brad committed this three years ago and he forgot what he did. <laughs> Negative. Negative. False. Okay, well, let's move on. So next up, uh, we have the Content Box CMS uh, blog post we mentioned earlier. So you can check that one out. Uh, as we mentioned before, it has a lot of great reasons to use Content Box, what makes it different, and why and how it can be free. And basically, that's because Auto Solutions is committed to open source. That's what we are as a core in the company. And so we're always going to push forward with open source. And obviously we, we make money in other ways. We have consulting trainings, we have our conferences, but in the end of the day, you know, we, we build work for customers. And we had that business where we go out and we break your kneecaps. If you don't sign up for Patreon. Oh, that, mm, that I was supposed to say that with my inside voice, wasn't I? Yeah. <laughs> so next up, this one is another blog, the last one of this week, but you might have a few things to say about it. So let's see what you say. 
So this one here, Ben is talking about wrestling with his dogmatic fear of the request scope and accessing global variables in cold fusion. You know, so, I saw this and didn't read it, probably because he overthinks things sometimes, but I was curious what he had to say. So yeah, so this one he talks about being uh, being blind to pragmatic use cases in which dirty code is actually better code. And so um, came into some standards about request tracing and that's sort of what started his whole thought process. But basically, instead of accessing global scopes, he would pass things through because he thought it was dirty to access global scopes. And that's kind of something which... Well, define global. What is global? Global to the server, global to the application, global to the session, global to the request, well, global to the CFC, global to the function. I mean, you can put the word global in front of anything, and that doesn't mean anything. It just means it has a context with a bound. Yeah. And so he, he was mentioning request scope, but also, you know, he's talking about how he does actually doing it. He was hypocritical because uh, he uses I mean, a lot. Request is hardly a quote global scope. I mean, it's unique to your request. Yeah. But basically, uh, you know, for his error logging, he used global scopes. And so, you know, basically put things, I think he's talking more about application scopes uh, and stuff like that. So, yeah. Slightly more global, I guess. So, yeah, I mean, he, he talked about basically, you know, pulling things out of different scopes and moving things around. Um, so it was just interesting, you know, he's talking about how he's, you know, um, you know, up on his high horse i just thought it was interesting do, you know he's, he's you vulnerable know? he's he's sort of you know like saying hey you know maybe my thoughts process <clears throat> wasn't right maybe i was you know maybe i should change my thoughts and i like those types of <coughs> things that you're thinking or maybe just because i've done it this way the whole time maybe it's not <coughs> the best way Excuse to move me. forward I, I do love that about ben he's always willing to go back and and re- provide some introspection you know the problem with this blog post it's written from a non-framework point of view most everything in this in this blog post doesn't really, I don't want to say it doesn't apply to me. I wouldn't even really think about most of these things because I use a framework and I don't, I, I rarely touch any scopes and confusion outside of arguments, uh, variables and local. And I sort of consider arguments and local in the same category, right? If I want things that came in from the form or the URL, I use the request collection provided to me from Coldbox. If I want to have a private request specific pipeline of data that I, I know is is clean and not untrusted, well, I use the private request collection. I mean, there's already like a demarcation built into the framework. I don't ever touch the application scope in Coldbox because I, I don't need to. Anything I need is already injected directly into my component or yeah. I have, you know, singletons handled by Wirebox that automatically worries about where they get put. I don't, I can use the session scope. I don't necessarily need to. I can just tell Wirebox to, uh, scope something in the session scope for me, or I can use the, the scope storage wrappers. Like I don't really even think about scopes anymore. Cause like my, fr- the abstractions or the framework that I'm used to using sort of like makes that moot. I mean like the CGI scope, I haven't touched a CGI scope in years. I don't need to. The request context object has helpers that get me whatever I need in a way that's actually like something I can mock inside of my unit tests and not have to, you know, jump hoops around. So like, I love the thought behind this post, but like, I'm like, but yeah, what about it? Like just use something like Coldbox and like really most of the stuff doesn't matter anymore. There's already like mechanisms and places, things in place to give you everything you need. And almost none of them involve touching any cold fusion scopes 
outside of variables, arguments, or local. And that's kind of what he's doing here. He's basically got a request metadata CFC, which does the abstraction, similar to the way Coldbox does for all those things you just mentioned. And so here he's actually talking about using dependency injection to make that available. And so, yeah, that's the benefit of a, of a framework. It already does all this, um, you know, yeah. that type of thing. And so it know. looks like he's basically, Ben's basically rebuilding a portion of a logic inside of Coldbox's request context. Yeah. So. So yeah, I, I want to be careful because I don't want to make it sound like I'm poo pooing on Ben. I love Ben. I know he doesn't use Coldbox. He he did he did Framework One. That's fine. But like, it what bothers me is just in general. You know, people are like, ah, Coldbox is so complicated. I don't need all that crap. Years later, them basically rewriting from scratch everything Coldbox does to solve their problems. I'm like, oh my gosh, it was built in to Coldbox years ago, but it was too much back then. And I'm not saying that like Ben said that. Like this is more of an aside, but it's like. It just kills me when I see people like rewriting the very things that were overly complicated for them a few years prior when they were like flocking to framework one because it was the invisible framework that didn't do anything for them. And it's like, you know, here they are reinventing the wheel. Because they're needing something that it <laughs> didn't do for them. So, but yeah. I'm highly opinionated on this. And yeah. Ben, if you're listening, I love you. Don't take it personally. <laughs> yeah. And so that's the thing this get request API. I mean, he's right because you wouldn't want this type of code all over your, your application. Yeah, and that's the I thing. mean, I mean, this is, is only why a Coldbox one. did this like 15 years ago for you. Yeah, I mean, and to be <laughs> honest, like the versions that we use have other hitters as well. It checks for three or four different hitters from different. So things. you're saying this Coldbox is better still? Yeah, I like it because I don't have to worry about this code. That's for sure. <laughs> when I'm doing legacy conversions, I usually have a helper that has all the things that I'm used to using from Cold uh, from Coldbox that basically I can throw on this legacy app until we can get it converted. And yeah, these are the types of things you put in there. And this is, yeah, a perfect example of those helpers. And then, like you mentioned, the CB storages uh, module has, you know, basically methods for accessing sessions and, you know, the cache and everything else. It has all the different helpers to be able to get to them. And then you can configure them too. So it's pretty neat. And yeah, like you say, when you do this, now you can mock it. You know, when you get I mean, the overall API. point of what Ben's doing is excellent. It's all about abstraction, which is the exact same thing a framework gives you. And he's basically writing his own framework. And he's completely right in that. You know, the, the icky feeling you get when you're directly touching something like the CGI scope, which can be difficult to mock, you wrap an abstraction around it. I mean, he's completely right in that. Um, it's just we already did it 15 years ago with Coldbox. And. <laughs> And Dominic says, absolutely. That's what Tobos does. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I saw yeah. Dom Dominic comment, but I'm actually reading the comments. Yeah. Anyway. That's awesome. So it's nice if it's not just us, you know, saying <clears throat> that. But, but yeah, I mean, like I said, I love the post. I like the fact that, you know, he's, he's walking through the process. And yeah, I mean, sometimes people still touch their cookies, you know, <clears throat> and they're way down in the code and stuff. And people say, you shouldn't touch that. It should be something you get from well, a helper. And so, see, yeah, this is a good example of not copying and pasting, right? Mm -hmm. You know, how many times would people just copy and paste that logic to check all the different CGI headers for the X refer or whatever it was. And they'd had that code 17 places in their app when it's better to have some sort of consolidated utility that has that logic once and you use it everywhere, whether it's the cold box request context or, you know, whatever it was Ben was writing. That's a good abstraction. Yeah, and especially when you when you think about it, when you change, you know, load balancer, now all of a sudden you got a different hitter you have to worry <laughs> about. And they got to change it in 17 places or once. But anyways, so. Well, I've, I've done that. 
you, we, we change the load balancer and like the the CGI variable that tells you whether or not it's HTTPS changes. And you're mm-hmm. like, crap, extended fine on the code base. How many places did we reference that variable to see if we were in HTTPS or not? Yep, exactly. Been there, done that. Yeah. So like I said, I really like Ben's post and that one's a, a good one too. And I like the fact he's walking through his thought process and it's one of those things, you know, code smell, like it feels dirty to touch those things and you're deep in your code when you're in your models, you know, and you should, the model should only basically be given things. It shouldn't know how to go get stuff. And that's a perfect example where dependency injection comes in, right? You give it everything it needs. You don't, it doesn't need to go figure out where you're storing it or how you're storing it. So. It's like programming philosophy with Ben. We need to have like Ben in a chair in front of the fireplace with like a smoking jacket on and a pipe. And he's like, hello, today we're going to discuss scopes. <laughs> I, th- I think that would be a good good way to present it. Yeah, but he can hold his dog while he's doing it, Lucy. Oh, yeah. Laptop. There we go, Ben. You got a, a new podcast idea. You be careful. If it's a cat, you're like this close from being like a villain. So yeah, that's can go that either way. Everyone likes a dog. <laughs> and Although Lucy does seem to be the, the, she likes the spotlight. So anyway, so next up on our list, uh, we're talking about jobs. So we got a Job few jobs. this week. So getcfmljobs.com has a new one. And it's a full-time web developer and it's a remote position. And it was posted August 31st. So we have that one position there. Um, and then there's obviously a lot more remote. jobs. It's a remote yep. position. But with getcfmiljobs.com, they have about 16 posts right now that have been posted since July 1st, and they're in eight locations across five countries. So definitely check them out. And it's a CFML site, so we always like supporting them. And they have a Twitter handle, too, that posts the jobs as they come out. So pretty cool. And the next big thing is that Audis is actually hiring right now, too. So Brad yeah. is so busy that we need a second Brad. We, we worked for months on the, the developer clone function that was going to clone gavin and i to do more work and the project was a complete failure uh you know terrible atrocities happened and we never were able to clone either one of us so i guess we need to hire someone else yep so <laughs> at Audis, you know you'd be working with a good team obviously but be working on modernizing web applications and helping companies move it out of legacy hell You'll be teaming up with ColdFusion experts in order to solve complex web development problems, testing and integrating new web technologies in order to create custom business implementations. You'll be pushed to innovate constantly and create new solutions to web development problems. You'll be leading project teams that deliver software that matters. So one restriction Sounds very agile. Yep, that's the plan. And then obviously the US time zone availability is a must and a U.S. citizen or resident or work visa is a must too. But if you want to find out more, you can go to autosolutions.com slash about-us slash careers. So that's a, a good job opportunity. Uh, there's a lot of um, information on that on that post there, so you can go see more about what we're looking for. But uh be great to add an, another great member to the Autos team. So we're looking. Uh, you can email the email address on, on that blog post oh sorry not blog post that page and then i'll copy it in for everybody if you want to check that out in the live chat and we also have a, a twitter post as well about a job op- opportunity so let me share that so i don't know who premier staffing familiar. is yeah premier tech jobs i've seen them I posting think just a, a, i think they're just a generic staffing company yeah, so they're looking for ColdFusion developers who are U.S. citizens to work on a six- to eight-month contract that could have opportunity to go permanent. If you're interested in a citizen and open to using ColdFusion 18 and SQL, let's chat. So um, 
if you want to check that out, we'll share the, the link in the show notes as well. And where was this a, a, a confined to a geographical area? Remember, um, staffing is oh Knoxville, Tennessee. So I'm guessing this is for the Knoxville, Tennessee area. Not sure. I just saw the blog post and I thought I would share it just in case. I don't know anything about them. Uh, the company. Yeah, the tweet doesn't say anything specific, but but they are a recruiting firm in Knoxville, Tennessee. So I'm guessing they're looking for something local. But hey, if you're hard up for a remote position, you can always ping them and be like, hey, do you, do you take remote? <laughs> There's a lot of people doing remote right now. Now's the time to capitalize on, uh, on remote work. That's for sure. Yep, for sure. Okay, so next up. Forgebox module of the week. Galleries for preside. Yeah, so nice. I wanted to sh uh, show off this one this week, um, mainly because just because you know we use Content Box uh, at Audis doesn't mean that's the only place. Uh, you know, the only things on Forgebox. Preside is another uh, another great CMS built on top of Coldbox as well, which you know, like Dominic just mentioned, <laughs> they like Coldbox. Box. But uh, the Preside Galleries is a module that you can use to sort of give your Preside app an update. So it uh, allows you to configure photo galleries in your Preside application, then display them in the front end. So uh, there are a lot of uh, pretty cool extensions on here for Preside. They've actually got quite a lot of things. So if you are using Preside, there's a whole category for them. So if you're needing something else, Forgebox has a lot of those. So they've got extensions for Mailgun, uh, validation extras, etc. So, um, but yeah, so that's that's our module of the week so check that out and if you guys are looking for cms preside is a is a really good cms they got a lot of features and functions it's very developer friendly um and they're they do some great work over there at pixelate okay so next up our vs code hints tips and tricks of the week so this one here is internationalization friendly. So it's I-18 Ally, and this one's got some pretty cool animated GIFs. So I'm gonna let them do the speaking. Uh, they do support a lot of frameworks and everything. But uh, the cool thing is it gives you a lot of inline annotations. So when you're using internationalization, you can actually see the translations inline, which is pretty neat. So if you're using Vue or um, you know some other front-end frameworks, this is pretty common to use dollar sign T, um, and then basically put your I-18 uh, you know, reference name or slug. And then uh, using some of this in line annotations, you can just change languages and then in the code, you'll actually see what that should be. And if you hover over them as well, you can actually see all the different languages. You can edit them directly <coughs> with a little shortcuts. It's pretty neat. Um, and it gives you like a, a nice easy way to do the translation. So you'll actually see uh, a little pop-up on the left-hand menu as well inside of VS Code. So it gives you all those different options. Um, that's pretty cool. You can actually see how there's, there's, you know, a little manager for your project and you can see the different languages. Um, you can actually resolve, uh, edits as well. And people can actually say, maybe we should change the word, uh, et cetera. So that's pretty neat. Um, I was pretty, pretty excited to see this as, as far as internationalization. It's kind of a difficult thing to work with sometimes. So this extension looks like it makes it a lot easier. So pretty cool little extension I know that uh, a lot of our European customers obviously do a lot more than we do in the US working with internationalization so I wonder if they have any uh, recommendations on their side for things they use 
Okay. So Nick's on All our right, list. So, well, sorry, while you were talking, I uh, I I'd gotten a uh, note back from David Byers. I'd asked him about the post that disappeared off the the Adobe Confusion portal. It looks like it was just his mistake. He went back and edited it, and that requires us to have to go back through approval. So that's why it had gotten taken down. So that post that we mentioned should be back up soon. Um, it just has to be reapproved apparently because he edited a typo, which kind of sucks. But anyway, that's good news. So I'll read it once it pops back up. Okay. Thanks for sharing that. Okay, cool. So next up we have our patron supporters. So we're always in the show by thanking our patron supporters. We've got a, a lot of great individuals spending their hard earned cash on us to support this podcast and our other projects as well. So thank you. Uh, we appreciate it and our products like command box forge box cold box test box and this podcast obviously uh you know do better because of the support that you give us and thank you to all those that aren't making a financial support but maybe supporting us through tickets and pull requests and and testing very important to help us test these things so we appreciate you as well but if you put your money on the line at patreon.com auto solutions you'll get your name on the show so uh, I missed last week, so I'm sure it's my turn. So let me go ahead and thank all of these individually. So thank you, Ben Nadal. Even if we uh, mock you a little bit on the show, we still love you. Thanks, Brent DeLine, Calvin Stanton, Charlie Earhart, Dali, Dan Card, Daniel Garcia, David Ballinger, Tadia Lesnicki, Don Bellamy, Eric Hoffman, Gary Knight, Giancarlo Gomez, Jan Yannick, Jason Diger, Jeff McCain, Jeremy Adams, Jordan Clark, Joseph Lamery, Kai Koenig, Laxma Terahadi, Mario Rodriguez, Matthew Clemente, Mingo Hagen, Scott Steinbeck, Sean Oden, Stephen Klotz, Synaptrix, and Yogesh Mathur. So if you want to see the list of all of our sponsors, you can see them at autosolutions.com slash about dash us slash sponsors. And you can see some of our commercial sponsors there too. But thank you everybody for supporting us and making this podcast a success. And I think we're up to almost 70 episodes now, so we're still going strong. And I think we're up to almost 70 minutes now, too. Yep. <laughs> and that's a long one. I thought it was your fault that we went long, but I wasn't here last week, and you guys did a short one, so it must be me. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who's the common thread, Gavin? <laughs> yeah. Well, me and Erica Schultz maybe put me and you together and we're trouble. Oh, that's yeah. We need to it. check every single possible combination. Wait, what if it was me and me, like two of me? Like I pre-record one, and then I have a conversation. That could go for hours. You probably I mean, would. Days, maybe. I mean, it seems like you talk to yourself all day, every day anyway. Pretty much. When you work from home and it's just nothing but my fish over there in the aquarium and they're not good conversationalists anyway. So, yep. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank Scott, you everybody. Would, oh. Scott, in the, in the comments, I would debate myself, but I would probably win and lose. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in. Have a great week and we will see you next week. Yep. Bye-bye everybody. Adios. Show notes for this episode can be found at cfmlnews.modernizeordie.io, where you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast player like Spotify or iTunes. We also have the link to YouTube to find more videos just like this. The music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from Sound.com and Bluetree Audio.